Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Emerging Ease, where we will focus on unraveling the difficulties in the midst of our journey and move toward forward progress. This program is not meant to replace any form of therapy, and you are encouraged to seek out a mental health professional if necessary. Hello, and welcome to Emerging Ease. I'm your host, Keisha. You're tuned into the Bachelor News Radio Network. Feel free to call if you have any questions um, to 646-929-0130, any input. Also, you can um, leave messages, uh, questions, uh, comments in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA-Bachelor. Um, you can also send those same comments or questions to uh, EmergingEase, all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, which is Emerging Ease on Facebook. Uh, you'll see my caricature, I'm Keisha. And uh, feel free to send any questions through Messenger or in the group uh, posting, and um, so other people can offer input as well. Um, today we're talking about setting personal goals, and the importance of setting personal goals. Um, with personal goals, it's a lot to kind of kind of think about if you're looking at the big chunk of it. But with that being said, personal goals are necessary. And for one, to be able to identify, hey, I've made it from point A to point B, whatever your point B is. Or because I made it from point A to point B, I can now move forward in my focus on trying to get to uh, point C or wherever, whatever you're trying to do with, the, with your life. Additionally, accomplishing your goals directly has a positive impact on self-esteem, your personal confidence, which we touched on last week. It also helps reduce stress reduce, as I, as I should clarify, distress, as we talked about before, and it encourages you stress, which is positive stress. Like, heck yeah, I accomplished that. Um, I did very well. I did everything I needed to do that I wanted to do, and so now I know that I have the ability to move forward toward either more difficult goals or uh, whatever you have set out for yourself. Now, with that being said, um, we'll kind of look at the five main things uh, that you can do to set goals that, for one, are not overwhelming, two, are not distressful, um, and three, um, oh, actually help you get to where you're trying to go. It helps you kind of have more of a direct outcome. With that being said, sometimes we give ourselves these big, as I call, balloon goals. And those big balloon goals, it'll be like, 
I want to graduate from college. Okay. Well, does that mean um, an associate's program you want to finish, a bachelor program, a doctorate? Does it mean, hey, I just want to get an A or a passing grade, like a, a, a medium level C uh, in one course? What does that specifically mean? Also, what are you going to do with that? With um, with looking at at your goal setting, setting specific goals is so helpful in in the way you interact with people and in situations and the way you feel about yourself day to day. Because we'll also break down the to do list. Now, just to give you FYI, the to do list, the whole purpose of it is that the um, to give you many little bitty pebbles, in a sense, to work toward getting to your goal. So your to-do list every day should not have a million and one things on there, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So step one of setting goals. Set goals that motivate you. What are you really going to get from the goal? What is a high priority for you? In a sense, almost, what's your what's your bucket list for yourself? Now, with that, I'm not talking about the bucket list that, hey, I want to go to Vegas and win a million dollars at the poker tournament, or I want to go to um, experience Mardi Gras and, you know, be on a float. I want to go participate in Carnival and put on one of those outfits. <laughs> But really, what is motivating you? Where are you wanting to see yourself in the next year, in the next two years, in the next five years? Please don't ever be scared to create a large goal for yourself. Because when you are fearful of creating a large goal for yourself, meaning I want to pay off uh, all my debt. That could be a large goal for someone. I want to go back to school and, and work my bachelor's and work my way through a doctorate. That can be a big goal for someone. I want to purchase a home cash only. That can be a huge goal for someone. Heck, I just want to feel better about myself. I want to get myself esteem uh, at a higher level. That could be a big goal for someone. Do things, do set goals that motivate you. Now, with your goal setting, many times it's very important that you set goals that are giving you something you can break down to smaller pieces. In those smaller pieces, that's where your to-do list will come in. So setting goals that motivate you, look at, I encourage you, especially if you're just starting with setting goals, give yourself probably three big goals and identify what that time frame is. Do I want this to happen in the next year? Are these three big goals able to actually happen in the next year? Uh, for instance, if you're saying, I want to buy a $250,000 house cash only, and you only make 50000 a year, that's not going to be able to happen in a year uh, because that's not even matching what your income is. On top of you have to take into account your living expenses throughout the year. The other thing with that is, don't make it so huge that as you look at it, even though you may be chipping away at it, you begin to feel discouraged because you may feel like this is never going to go anywhere. So identify things that you know 
motivate you and work toward it. Even if you have to break it down into different levels, do that so then you don't, you know, discourage yourself. Now, with goal setting, one thing that many of you may have heard of is something called SMART goals. SMART, S-M-A-R-T, for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. With specific, specifically, what do you want? Be clear. Um, as many people do with vision boards, um, in their prayer lives, in their journals, uh, with friends, they can specifically identify, you know, I want this thing to happen or I want to accomplish this. But with that specific thing, that specific focus, specifically, how are you going to get there? What does it look like to you? What does that road look like to you? Make it measurable. So something that's not measurable, to kind of give you an example, is like uh, the statement I gave a little bit earlier, I want to go finish school. What does that mean? There's no measure on that. It's not specific. It's not measurable. Um, With measurable also, Measurable is way, way easy to break down into smaller things that you're going to have on your to-do list. And it reduces stress because if you know by, if I have this goal for a year and this is my specific measurable goal, then in the first month, these are the things I need to have accomplished on my to-do list. And the next month, blah, 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 blah. And then as once you get closer to the year, either A, you've accomplished the goal, or B, you see that it's within your reach, and it doesn't feel so stressful. Attainable. Attainable. Um, This one is very difficult because it almost tells you, well, make sure you have the ability to do it. Well, as I tell everybody, you have the ability to do any and everything you want. It's just, are you maintaining the focus, and are you putting the drive in to get there? Sorry, you put your foot on the gas, basically, to move forward toward that. Something that's attainable is something that you know is not a million to one odds, basically. Something that you can actually uh, see yourself accomplishing. Some people may say, well, heck, I got a GED. I can't go back to school. Yes, you can. That's attainable. Now, the thing is, if you say in the next 12 months, I'm going to finish uh, building a spaceship, and uh, I'm going to fly to to the south side of the sun and uh, develop a colony there. That's not going to happen in a year, if ever. That's not attainable. And it sounds extreme, but sometimes we, as people, put these big, huge, heavy goals on ourselves, and without breaking them down, we create stress for ourselves, distress, We reinforce possible negative thoughts about ourselves, as well as we feed into, I have all these limitations. There's absolutely no way I can accomplish anything else. I didn't get to build a spaceship, so since I wasn't able to do that, there's no way I can go back uh, to school. There's no way I can save money. There's no way I can get in physical shape. There's no way I can challenge my negative thoughts about myself and and my personal value. 
and that's how that ball kind of rolls downhill and begins to collect the muck that we've experienced in life, and it, and we begin to talk ourselves out of things. So looking at that, being very, very focused on making sure whatever your goal is, in addition to specific and measurable, it's attainable. With relevance, specifically is about um, is the relevance of what you want. If you say you want to go back to school and finish your associate or get a degree in nursing, um, but then the things that you set out to attain that goal, don't focus anything on that. It, you're wanting to make sure you cut the yard every day, uh, wanting to go to the gym uh, four times a week, uh, wanting to become more social. That has absolutely nothing to do with your goal of wanting to become a nurse. So then by the time that time uh, rolls around, you say, I want to do that in four years, you're not any closer than you were on day one because there were no relevant supports for that goal that you had put into to place. Um, the next one is to the T, which is time bound. Make sure you give yourself a time frame, a deadline. So then it gives you a specific focus in a relevant amount of time. And you can chunk out how to separate things in, in your to-do list and your daily list and your month-to-month successes. Let me look at my successes, which we'll talk about in a little bit. With that setting a time bound, give yourself a realistic time frame. With that time frame, just like in the example I gave earlier about, hey, I want to pay a $250,000 house off of cash. I only make $50,000 a year. For me to even earn $250,000, it's going to take five years. And that's what's taking nothing out, no taxes, no payments for uh, living, nothing. I'm just earning money, putting it away, earning money, putting it away. And that's even... If uh, And that's not even including any interest-bearing account I may be putting it in. So being mindful of giving yourself a realistic goal to reduce, yet again, the stress. We're looking at ways to identify how to reduce the stress in our lives because, as we know, everyday interactions have enough distress as it is. We do not need to add anything else. I want to throw in here that... Um, Friday night at 5 p.m. is the uh, Eastern Standard Time. Is the featured album Friday on the Bachelor News Network. Listen this Friday from 5 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. to our featured artist of the week, which is Usher. Listen for the 30 minutes to Usher at bachelornews.airtime.pro uh, for the featured album Friday. It's exclusively on Bachelor News Network. Um, excuse me, Bachelor Re News Radio Network. And I also want to thank you again for listening in. I'm Keisha, uh, your host with Emerging Ease. If you have any questions, comments, input, please, please, please uh, call in to 646-929-0130. Send your questions to the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash la.bachelor. Um, and you can look, go and send them to emergingease at gmail.com. 
Also look for our Facebook group, which is Emerging Ease. It has my caricature, I'm Keisha, and we're going to continue to talk about goal setting. Um, one thing, uh, after setting time uh, that's realistic for you, uh, one other thing to add in there is to put it in writing. Write it down. This is where vision boards come in. And I'm really glad that vision boards are a, um, have kind of, I hate to say taken off, but that people are actually very interested in doing vision boards and developing them in such a way that they are um, very manageable because it doesn't have to be the big collage of uh, photos that you maybe cut out of a magazine. I was uh, challenged uh, to complete a vision board, and I'm going to date myself right now. I was like, well, where am I going to get a magazine to cut out pictures? So the person was giving me the challenge, like, Keisha, we have access to the Internet. Uh, go on there and print the picture out. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, so <laughs> I'm going to pass that along. If anybody is stuck in that same boat that I was in, go online, print out the pictures that you want. I encourage you to print out pictures because when we see a picture, we have words in our in our brains already that are associated with that picture because that's exactly why you printed out the picture because it speaks to you, it says something to you. Basically, like the uh, old adages of a picture says a thousand words, that's why pictures are so important. Also, our eyes, especially in today's uh, way of communication, we're more focused on things that have pictures. If you think about it, even when you're on social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, if someone writes something, if it gets past two sentences, you kind of are like, okay, it's way too long. I have other things to do. But if they post a picture, you'll look at that picture for way longer than you'll read the caption. That is why putting a picture up is so much better for your vision board than it is to write out a whole lot of words. Because when you see that vision board, when you walk past it throughout your day or as you get up in the morning or as you go out, um, uh, to start your day as you go out the door and you look at your vision board, you see those pictures. Those pictures are going to hold much more of an impression on you, and you'll be able to pull that back more than you can with words, okay? So that's just kind of a, a helpful thing. And when you're putting those pictures up, even if you write things under the picture, that's fine. Do it. Do it. Now, the, the next part is creating your action plan and sticking to it. How do you create the action plan and stick to it? That is um, actually, it's, it's not difficult. It seems difficult initially. But with making your action plan, that's just saying this is, you can start from, from the, the ultimate end goal and then work your way back. So if it's something that you are going to accomplish over, the, over a year, either set out what that goal is, the end goal, and then work your way back. Okay, uh, the first quarter, I need to do this to do, accomplish these things on the next quarter to accomplish these things on the next quarter to then have this done by the time the fourth quarter comes. So at the end of that year, everything is accomplished. 
with making your action plan, also look at what things are going to possibly be barriers. Are there going to possibly be time barriers? Are there going to possibly be financial barriers? Are there possibly going to be any changes in my family uh, structure, my location, my employment? Is there anything that could possibly come up? Are you expecting to have a surgery in the middle of the year that could slow down uh, the progress toward that goal? Look at your barriers. Because if barriers come up, some barriers we can see ahead of time and we can plan for those. Others we cannot. Those are the unexpected. Whenever we identify the expected possible uh, slowdown, it makes it a lot easier when that slowdown gets here because, in a sense, you've already addressed it. Now, the other part of that is this. When the expected slowdowns happen and then maybe an unexpected happens, it's less stress. Not saying it's stress less, but it's less stress to deal with because, hey, I've already addressed uh, the the barrier that was coming up. But I have not, I didn't see this unforeseen, but since I've already addressed the thing that I already saw coming up, there's less time, energy, and focus I have to put into this thing, this other thing that's come up, because possibly it's already been partly addressed in the thing you've already planned for. Make sure your timeline, stick with your goal. If you have to stick to yourself and say, look, I, I need to do this today, this is my focus for today, do that. Talk out loud to yourself if you have to. Send yourself a reminder text. Send something on your calendar if you must. But make sure you make it to where it's, it's plain, to where it's, it's an encouragement to yourself, okay, to stay on, on track with your goal. Um, when you are, and also I want to take something off the table that many of us do, many of us have done. Please stop waiting to these supposed big days in the year to say, you know what, now I'm going to set my goals. Now I'm going to go ahead and move forward. Some people set the goal of New Year's resolution. Stop that. Cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. Because what that does is if you have had in your past successful New Year's resolutions, meaning oh, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to eat right, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to be all muscular by the summer, and that doesn't happen, and you've been in there eating all the cookies and swallowing all the ice cream and drinking all the milkshakes and everything, then what that does is it sets you up for that same kind of process subconsciously. Because that very next year when you say, okay, this is it, this is the year, I'm going to do it, if you have not challenged those subconscious things that have been put in there that have said, hey, I really don't feel like it, I'm tired, I'm sleepy, this isn't going to work, uh, something's going to come up and keep me from accomplishing this goal, and then you see in that set, that second year that you plan it, all shuts, it didn't come through. And you say, okay, third year, this is it, third, third time's a charm. You get in there and that same process happens. What that is is, you're setting yourself up with, for one, the anniversary of something that you identified as unsuccessful, and then two, if you really look at it, you probably started to become discouraged in that goal about the same time. You probably did not change the way you set your goals, and so therefore the subconscious kicked in with, 
But yeah, you said that. But remember last year and the year before and the year before that, blah blah blah. Or when people say, okay, by this, by my birthday next year, this is my birthday this year. By my birthday next year, I'm gonna have done this, that, and the other. Don't give yourself those those time frames. When it when you feel like this is the goal I need to accomplish, set that goal right then. Put your action plan together. Make sure it has the smart parts in there. Um, so that way you are personally personally motivated and accountable for it. So remember the smart parts are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time bound. Now I'm gonna talk to you about the to do list. Now I'm not talking about the to do sorry about that. I'm not talking about the to do list that is the one you have at work because as we all know Sometimes that's just uh, something that's never going to shrink or go away because you can knock 12 things off of that and I'll be darned. 20 more will come back and you're like, dang, I was making progress. Now what's up? In making your personal to-do list, this to-do list should be in of your goals. Set your goals in a, in a time frame and, and in an order that they build upon each other. So, and I keep using education only because it's kind of, uh, an easier picture to give out. So if you say, I want to complete uh, my master's degree, I've only to date done my associate's degree. That means you got to do two more years to get to a bachelor's degree at least, and then two to four years, depending on whatever your master's may be in, to get to your master's. So this is my starting point, my associate. Where am I going with this associate's? What is my major going to be for my bachelor's? Have I done the things I need to do to get my application process started? Have I done anything I need to do to cover financial part? Has all of that been put together? So I'm giving myself two years to get to my bachelor's. Then my ultimate goal is to get my master's. So now my bachelor's completed. I have something to celebrate. I have something to celebrate my to-do list uh, daily because with that, you got to start off with what are the basic things I need to do? decide what college I want to go to or university, decide what my major is going to be, uh, figure out uh, what I need to do to get financial uh, uh, support for paying for the courses as well as all the materials, get my schedule together at work. That's five things right there. You get that accomplished, pat yourself on the back. You have made progress toward the ultimate goal but you've used one of those sub-goals, one of those smaller goals, and you're working toward the, the next step. When we break things down like that and have those to-do lists, for one, don't have more than five items on your to-do list. And these are your personal things for your personal self. So if your personal self is saying, I want to become physically healthy, identify five, identify five things you can do in that day that's going to work toward the ultimate goal of being healthier, lowering cholesterol, lowering blood pressure, uh, lowering weight, whatever it is that you're trying to do, identify five things you can do in that day. Because then if you just have the, the ultimate goal is I want to get to size eight, I want my cholesterol to be blah, 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 I want my blood pressure to be blah, 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 and that's the only thing I'm seeing, you don't, all you see that is in the next year, but you're not identifying the small pieces that kind of go in that puzzle to get to that ultimate goal. So don't over, don't overload yourself 
please, please, please don't overload yourself because that's the easiest way to discourage yourself. And when you discourage yourself, you tell yourself subconsciously, I cannot do this. This is not possible. And so I'm going to go ahead and give up because I've set an impossible goal. And when that becomes a process, which it has in many of our lives, um, we then begin to work against ourselves. And that can lend itself to frustration. So just kind of being mindful of that, keeping yourself up on uh, challenging your thinking. And we touched on that last week as well as kind of the week before. Now, I do in this last portion of the show want to give you a heads up that um, coming up we'll be talking about more topics that are very uh, specific to self. Some of it will in- include talking about trauma, especially generational trauma. Some of it will be um, focused on uh, sexual concerns. Now, let me give you the disclaimer on sexual concerns. We will not be talking about sexual issues, but how sexual concerns can impact you personally, like low self-confidence uh, uh, concerning the way you express yourself sexually and things like that. If you have any questions, please send those in an email to me at emergingease at gmail.com. Today, I want to thank you. Uh, I hope today's discussion has been and will continue to be helpful to you in your life's journey. You've been listening to Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you for taking such a time as this to participate in your personal improvement with Emerging Ease. I'm Keisha, your host. Remember that in everything, there's an opportunity to learn and grow. If you are experiencing a difficult time, please reach out to the National Crisis Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And I look forward to hearing from you next week on Emerging Ease with Keisha.
Eskimos were founded in 1949. They were Grey Cup champions 14 times. They were a franchise rich in tradition, but because of evolving social sensibilities, the organization elected to eliminate the Inuit-inspired name last July. To those who were offended by the name, we have heard you and recognize your concerns. So after a 10-month search and extensive research, the team announced its new name. With your input, much debate and deliberation, we came to the name that we are proud to present today. We are the Edmonton Elks. So what's in a name? What's in this new name? The Elks. We checked with um, the Oxford Dictionary folks. We also checked with a linguistics expert at the U of A. And uh, it is proper, especially in a team name, and uh, it is considered a proper noun. So uh, we chose it for a lot of reasons. We, we liked how it sounded. Uh, frankly, it's more inclusive than the word elk. The team sees some significant branding benefits with the name and the logo. We will wear the antlers on the helmets, no doubt about it. Uh, we have a nice system of logos to work with now with, uh, with our primary logo or secondary logo or a word mark what we can do with the antler, which is what you've seen on the helmet, and the refurbished double E. The Elks will have to tweak a long-standing tradition with the fight song. We're still in the stages of figuring out exactly um, how to go about it, what words to change, what words to leave uh, the same, but we will definitely be keeping the fight song. Ryan King's a native Edmontonian and a retired player. What does he think of the new name? I know there was a lot of people involved in, in, in this name change, and I think they did a, a really good job of taking their time and doing all the work needed to make sure that it was the perfect fit, and I think they definitely accomplished that. It's been a long road. We've taken our time to make sure we got it right, and we know we did. John Sexsmith, Global Sports. on the best news radio uh, network um we thank you for joining us i got a couple of guests to get to real quick so i'm gonna go real quick uh and get to my first one and to get to uh, fred witted uh patiently waiting uh run a little bit behind want to bring in uh the host of the gray leopard cove you heard the excerpt of the uh edmonton decision and and this climate of hopefully changing as it relates to uh uh, Native Americans uh, that discuss these, this change is Gary Gray. And Gary, always a pleasure to have you on, man, and talk about this, man. Thank you, my brother. It's very, very good to be here. 
Yes, sir. Uh, number and one, number one, the Edmonton Football Club did in 16 months what the Washington Football Club could not do in 40 years. So that tells me where Washington stands compared to Edmonton. Yeah, but you know, it 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 it's it just it 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 seems it depends. It's on a case by case base, Gary, when it comes to uh, the respect of Native Americans. I mean, we've seen in in baseball and certain uh, places you just mentioned in Washington Football Club uh, with the NFL and now with Edmonton. But when are we going to get sort of a universal way to understand the the um, sensitivity and the importance? the importance of changing these names to reflect uh, the respect of Native Americans. Well, it's, it's, it's basically economic now. It's all economic now. Uh, what the Eskimo, what the Eskimo name Edmonton, they were told that, you, that it was a derogatory term in the 19th century and it is to be changed. The difference between the Americans and Canadians, the Americans had this racial nastiness to them as compared to the Canadians, which were willing to work with the native people of Canada. That's the difference. America has, has its strong uh, uh, racial Talking with Gary Gray and talking about the uh, the uh, Edmonton um, uh, name change to reflect again the sensitivity of Native Americans here on the Best News uh, Radio show on the Best News Radio Network, IBM TV, listening live, of course, at the Best News Airtime Pro. And Fred Witt, I appreciate your patience. Gary, um, you have the you have the triple whammy. I always say this, and I say that out of respect. <laughs> Um, you're you're part Native American, you're African American, and you're and you're disabled. So, it, this might be a a stretch question, but when are we going to get those areas, those groups, um, the respect? I mean, we see me too, and deservedly so, right? Um, We've seen these young folks. They're not. You're not calling them nigger and all this other stuff. These young folks are not taking that. That's just not, not gonna happen, not. right? So, and and old folks like us gotta get out of the way. You older, so you older folk. But anyway, I digress. But what is it gonna take to to get this movement for those three areas? Well, let's just say because the brothers, you know, we we're not getting no play anyway. Let's say Native Americans and disabled uh, folks. When are we going to get? What is it going to take for Congress and people to have the, the humanity to to do the right thing when it comes to those groups? It takes the experience in their family, in their own family, in their own homes. Just like the the uh, COVID nineteen virus, the same thing. If it doesn't happen to you, 
My bad on that. Um, I often said, uh, Gary, that we get upset, we protest, and we march, and we leave it there. Other groups, I'll just say, they do that, and then they they lobby. They push for change. Um, I'm not saying all of us. I'm just saying a lot of us that do that. That's, that's part of the problem that we have and we need to really fix. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, Gary, final thoughts, and, and what I want to do is I want to have you on on Monday, and we do a part two because I know you wrote an awesome article about this this change, and it needs to be it needs to be put out there. We need to stay on this. We need to stay the course on this. We need to make sure until there is no more of these disrespectful names. And push push an agenda to force these these owners who you know are quick to take the money from the change but doesn't want to make the change. Well, let, let me let me say let me say this to all you folks. Everything else prove to me that it can be it can be done. It can be done done in a short time with the people involved. Washington Football Club refuses to do this, and it, it, it doesn't surprise me at all because it's it's part of American culture to do this. America again are a different world, and and this is one of the examples of it. Well, like I said, it, it's one of those things, Gary, that I know, and you are the ultimate optimist. <laughs> you always are. I'm like, no, Gary, the, gla- the glass is half empty. You know, it's, no, you're like, it's half full. Uh, you've always been like that. I really appreciate that about you when, when you look at it. And we're going to come back on. Uh, the, the article will be posted, um, but let's get you back on 
uh, Monday and let's do a part two to this because I think it's so so very important to continue not only to to, to bring out what you brought out in the article but to, to bring forth some form of change. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you, man. Appreciate it, Gary Gray. Of course, he's the host of the Gray Leopard Cove. Uh, you can check it out on BlogTalkRadio.com. Uh, not only uh, he talks about those issues, but he also has a music version of of the show to the music box. So check him out. We'll have him on on Monday and do a follow up. It is about the news radio show. Stay tuned. Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late. Here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. back to the show. Don't forget, if you miss any part of the broadcast, you can go to our website. And then we're live now at the website, thebastardnews.airtime.pro, thebastardnews.airtime.pro. Uh, follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation and on Twitter at Pad Nation 2, Instagram at LA Bachelor, uh, of course. And um, you can hear the show on TuneIn, iTunes, Spotify. We're all over the place. Like this gentleman coming on the lines, patiently waiting for me. Here, always good to have him on. Who knows HBCUs better uh, than this gentleman? Of course, he's an HBCU historian. He's an author. He's an alumni. He is Fred Wooden. And Fred, I appreciate your patience, man. Thanks for coming on, bro. Thanks for having me. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you loud and clear, sir. Um, good. And, and like I said, thanks for coming on. Um, I wanted to have you on because we've been talking about this a little bit uh, and back and forth. And, and I know, at least for me, and I know for you, there's been some skepticism. But now we have an official uh, HBCU athlete on the boards in terms of inking an endorsement deal. Uh, Kwan Dukes, the first HBCU athlete to ink a deal. He uh, inked a deal with uh, Bojangles. And, you know, this is a part of this new NIL, this national image situation that the NCAA is um, kicking and dragging their feet into doing. But, you know, um, by all accounts, you know, Mr. Dukes and Bojangles are very eager and, and, and excited about this partnership. Um, but I know, again, for me, it's a wait and see. You made some comments to me in, in your email in regards to this first. So tell me what your, um, let's say what the plus side is, Fred, but what also your concerns are. 
Well, the plus side is players are finally getting paid uh, some measure of what some of them are worth, and they'll be able to make money because depending on what level of of uh, athletics you participate in, there are rules that ban you from even work. I mean, Division One uh, football and basketball players basically, other than working camps, can't work in the summertime because that's against NCAA rules. There are certain kinds of jobs they can take, and there's all kinds of things out there. And it's like trying to go through a minefield with the NCAA. And basically up until now it was right when they said it was right and wrong when they said it was wrong. Well, the courts came in finally, you know, and, and, and as usual, the NCAA has spent billions and billions of dollars fighting this uh, the, way they, the same way they fought having women uh, athletics on some measure of an of even even playing field. But in this case, my my problem with it is eligibility is what the NCAA says it is. Uh, recently, the head football coach was on from uh, from University from UNC was on, and he was making a comment. Well, you know, we have this. We set up this. Uh, um, instrument out there so that we can keep track and we can help our players so they'll know what's legal and what's not what, what's not legal. Well, my problem with that is here you go again, Fox keeping an eye on the chicken house and the chickens are the players. And we're right back to eligibility is what the NCAA says it is. And if you you know if, if you followed um, athletics any any length of time, which I know you have, and you know all the backstories about players receiving under the table money and all this other thing, it's just a matter of do you get caught or not. And some things were done on the t- really undercover, and some things were done in plain sight. So it just matter. The only thing that mattered was. Did the NCAA decide to go after you? Did the conference decide to go after you? Or did the team throw you under the bus and do a thing called self-declaration and throw you under the bus as an athlete, which means you got to move out. In in most cases, it means you got to move out of the athletic dorm. You got to, you know, you're on your own. Well, that's what things with, you know, especially – and in, in the biggest, you know, in, in um, the young man that we were talking about earlier is, I think it was from Johnson C. Smith. Well, he's, he's, he's basically tapping into a local source because, you know, Bojangles Arena is in Charlotte because Bojangles is in Charlotte. And so he, he was extending an opportunity, and there are going to be some more. Because I understand that uh, one, there's a rapper whose son goes to Tennessee State. Um, yeah, and Fred, is, just to get Fred, just to your point, real quick, they already um, signed a couple of players, Bojangles, from black players that went to PWIs. So, I mean, that's a whole different dynamic. Yeah, but still, it's it's that's that's who the opportunity is opening up to. And it's, it's not going to discriminate that much uh, because one, one, one of the key points that has to happen here 
is the player has to have a recognizable name first and foremost. Now, it behooves the schools if they, you know, to get their, you know, automatically. It's just like uh, they're, I mean, I, you know, watching the, the local news in the Pedal uh, area where I live. You know, we get we we get so much Carolina, NC State, East Carolina, uh, Duke, uh, even to Wake Forest. And those, you know, that those schools almost step promote through those through the uh, media mechanism. What the smaller schools got to do is they got to get their players' names out there too. Some players going to have to get their names out there because I mean, who who, who wants to know about the the fifth string center? Matter of fact, in some cases, who want to know about the first string center? Because you know, my son pointed out years ago. Everything happens when he, you know, only, only thing time, only, the only time anything happens is when that guy moves the ball. Well, most people don't even know that, the, the court, you know, if they talk about the quarterback, receivers, uh, running back, and as of late, a few defensive linemen, a few linebackers, and, that, again, as of late, everybody want to talk about Coach Prime. Well, I mean, he's had his day. And, you know, we're in a situation now where his players need to get some shine too. And he's helping his players and guys from and the SWAC is probably as far as HBCUs go, the SWAC is probably hit of the game. That's 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 interesting that you 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 say that. Um and it's also interesting that you mention name players. Now this kid was highly touted, I believe, John C. Smith. Uh he's a freshman so uh, again, there's a lot of legs to this, um, Fred. Uh, I just mentioned Bojangles specifically, and it may it might be a local to local type thing per state per HBCU, as you're sort of alluding to in, in Charlotte, um, North Carolina. But um, are they going to? Well, let me ask you this: We don't know what they're going to do, but does it behoove them? to go after um, will they only go after freshman phenoms or will they look at you think juniors and seniors that you know we covered the, the, the league all the leagues so we know the talent and stuff on the football basketball that kind of thing so are they gonna you think they're gonna go after some upperclassmen to do endorsement or just these freshmen coming in that that have these names and this talent? Well, there, it, to me, it will behoove them to go at least to juniors and seniors for now because, I mean, how many, how many talented freshmen are you going to have? And, uh, again, we would go back, you know, the, what, are, what are the positions they talk about in the newspaper? That's where it's going to happen. What, what are the positions that <coughs> excuse me, what position they're talking about when it comes to uh, uh, Making the news in general, they don't talk about freshmen that much. There, there's a few that's going to come out and be phenoms, but then, you know, after that, you end up with a lot of guys who are say, JUCO transfers, who are um, through the well now through the portal, or, or grad transfers and that kind of thing, because uh, you know, okay, you you were around when guys like Richard Huntley was running at Winston Salem State. Since then, we've had two or three, because more just a few years ago, 
he had a, a real well recognized thing, especially after he had to sit the. Um, I think he had about three plays that he did. He actually scored on from like 50, 60 yards. And so his name was all over the news. But then how many other teams got players like that? You know, the, uh, just a couple of years ago, you had Hall from Bowie State, one of, you know, one of the best passers in the nation. Uh, you just keep on going down the line. You, you have a few guys out there. But it's not going to be that many. It's not going to be a. I don't see. I. I, I don't foresee a landslide of players uh, going. You know, being being able to tap into this. There's just going to be some. The more regional, the better. And then, when you look at, the, you know, looking at the the major conferences, you can probably pretty well cover their footprint, which in the ACC's. Uh, they would go from Boston down to Miami uh, and then all the way over to Indiana. Uh, over the next couple of years, I'm guessing the SEC will go from Florida to South Carolina and then back across to uh, Austin, Texas, and Oklahoma. Then you got the Big 12, well, what was the Big 12, uh, in the Coastal League on the West Coast, you know, they cover from Arizona West and all the way up through Washington, you know, all the way up the West Coast. So, and then you got the Big Ten, you know, who who could have imagined the Big Ten being in New Jersey? Yeah, and, you know, the the, the Big 12, like you said, with uh, those major Texas and Oklahoma leaving um, the Big 12, Going to the SEC is like Florida and Bethune Cookman and A and T. It's it's almost a death sentence. And um, but I digress. I'm talking with Fred Witted here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, the Bachelor News Airtime Not Pro IBM TV WCLM WCLM and uh, Blog Talk. Fred, let's look at the another angle of this. And what does this mean, if anything, for Title IX and for women? Because the women's sports, they they certainly don't get the pub that, you know, the football and the basketball on the men's side does, but they do their thing. And, I mean, we've had concerns about how they even do it in certain conferences when they have conference uh, championship day and they put the women on at 12 o'clock in the afternoon when nobody there or something like that. And then they put the men on late in the evening, prime time. So what does this do? Do we see um, endorsements for HBCU women in these sports or we don't see it or it's going to be some years down the line with this? Well, it depends on what the, what the schools and the programs do for themselves, the conferences as well. And the reason I say that is this. Uh, what, three months ago, you had the young lady from uh, North Carolina A&T who was one of the fastest runners in the nation, actually in the world, at the collegiate level. Now, did A&T do a good enough job promoting her? 
you know, that's all up in the air. But she, I think she actually has gone on to turn pro now, but she won two national championships. So the door was open for her. But then looking back, who, who have you heard about since she ran in the, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Olympic trials? And understanding that the, in the Olympic trials, you, got gir- you had a situation of girl, basically girls against women because very few really young runners in the sprints did that well. Uh, most of them are mid-20s up to 30-plus years of age because they're bigger, faster, stronger, and it takes longer. You, you know, as they say, you don't really get that from eating at the training table at a, at a, college, at a college level and then understanding that A&T probably doesn't have one because although it is a Division One school, it does not have the capacity of a UNC or NC State. But having said that, though, the, the door was open for her, but then how many others? And, and so, so, you know, it's sort of a situation where you have to do your thing and then hope that the publicity follows. But at the same time, though, you must provide a certain measure of publicity yourself. And that's one, that's, that's, that's one of the sticking points because, you know, in a team setting, you don't want a situation where if, they get, if you get a certain amount of shine, it's okay. But then if it gets to a point of being obstructive to the team concept, then you start having, really, having major problems. And we've seen that. You know, and, and you know, you, you see that in a lot of teams where you think that team, this team or that team, should have won a national championship or a conference championship. But what happened? Well, they had some problems. But what was the problem? Well, it was internal. And the reason it was internal was because, uh, I mean, if you, if you know, it's a team game. I mean, this, 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 this is what you know. This, this whole goat thing that we've had going on with with Michael Jordan and, and uh, LeBron James and all these other people and Kobe and all this. You know, one of the biggest problems with that, uh, Michael, when you put Michael out on the, on the court today with LeBron James, LeBron James would beat his brains out. Why? Because he's in a different place and a different time. And you don't have, you know, but you have, a, uh, you know, this whole thing with Coach Prime down at uh, Jackson State. Do you realize they they have been documenting everything he's done since he's really since before he signed on the dotted line, but that's designed to bring shine to him in Jackson State, and then some of that will rub off on uh, the sweat. But see, for that to really truly happen, the other team will have to beat him, and and trust me, they're waiting for him. Now, after the second, after his second, maybe third year. He might dominate the conference if he's still if he's still around, but coming out of the gate, we've already seen how it's going to be coming out of the gate. Because if he does, if you know, we were counting the other day, and he has like twenty five, thirty players that are you know, quote unquote, above the, the normal line. But can but do they have the capacity to make it into a winning team using the team concept? And 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 that's what's going to make it hard because he. Everybody, you know, everybody is not going to be on board with, you know, sharing, sharing like the way teams go are supposed to go. Right. And, and you know, um, uh, uh, two final quick questions for you, Fred, before you go. 
Uh, you had mentioned a couple of things I want to bring up. Number one, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that the the five families, I call them, uh, now five because the Big 12 has gone down. The five families are going to take this over. So HBCUs are going to lose out in terms of uh, these endorsement uh, deals um, unless they keep it as local as possible, as you said, with Charlotte, with Bojangles, and this kid Duke, um, they're oh, freshmen. So how how long do you think it'll take um, for the five families to kind of override this thing? And then the second part of you said the, the team thing and, the, and the, the SIDs really have to stay on board. How important it is for these SIDs and the schools to make sure even more now, because now it's some money flowing a little bit, but it's money flowing. How important it is for these sports information directors, not just to get your kids ready for the NBA draft and the NFL draft as the HBCU, but more importantly now, right, freshmen, your upperclassmen, how important is it to make sure that you continue to put that information out, whether they're upperclassmen or if there's a freshman coming in and you highlight them so they can get those endorsements? Two-part questions. Well, it's more important than, than ever. And the thing that HBCU's got to do, they have to move from these one, two, three-man, three-person, shall we say, operations. Because I think I've told you before, I called to get pictures for a couple of young ladies from Fayetteville uh, some years ago, and I called the SID office. Well, the office, the, the number they gave me was for the SID. He, when I, when I do actually talk to him a, a week later, he, oh, he said, oh, no, I don't deal with that. You got so-and-so who does that. Because they have an operation there that's bigger than most HBCU uh, whole operation of athletics. That, I mean, he has four or five people whose job it is to handle SID for um, the men's basketball team. we got another five to seven who do football. Back then, Carolina's uh, um, soccer teams were tops, so they had a group of like six or seven people who worked together for UNC soccer. You know, six people, two sports, versus one person and three students who handle all sports, all 12 to 14 sports you have to use. And it's a big difference. And see, the school, this has to come from the top. The schools have to work together to do what's necessary. And it has to stop starting the top. There's a joke among people who, who in PR and that kind of thing, they talk about they got to do more than advertise the presidents and chancellors and keep their name out from because nobody comes on campus necessarily to see the president or the chancellor. They come out on campus to see um, L.A. bachelor, you know, turning the corner and running downfield or taking a three-point shot and hitting it. And then the, the fi- I guess the final quick thing real quick um with the 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 five big five families uh, how how long do you think they'll kind of uh bum rush uh, the HBCUs and the, you know HBCUs will get get crumbs. Oh, I, oh I, I'm, I'm sorry I missed that part. Well, see the five families you know don't don't get it twisted. The five families are going to try to lower the boom on not just HBCUs, because if you're not part of the five families, 
They don't think that much of you know it. You know, remember a few years ago when Duke had come down the floor and scored, and I think it was Dayton or um, Butler. You know, if you look, if you go back and watch the film, there was a guy on the opposite side had his hand up. And I swear, if, if, if that kid had hit that shot to make Duke uh, lose, they'd have called him for traveling because he is from a mid-major. He's not from one of five families, and they are not supposed to be winning the NCAA uh, Division One National Championship. Mark Madness don't belong mm-hmm. today. That's why, you know, you have these schools that have good runs the whole year, and, and they're going to crush – they're, they're going to put the squeeze on everything because they, they have it. They have a mechanism to do it with. As I said earlier, you have an operation at most of these big schools that's bigger than the athletic department, including all full-time and part-time coaches and everything else. You know, that's part of the whole system. They have a system in place to promote their players and coaches. Well, you know, you're you're right, and um, uh, Fred, we we talk about this all the time in terms of of that, and and having covered the same team, you know, we we've gone through and we've had our private conversation. We'll leave it at that. Um, but it, 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 you know, HBCUs gotta they gotta keep their they gotta be on point, man. They gotta be on point because if they're gonna be trying to get this money. Um, for their players, and it's a win-win for the school in terms of exposure. These kids get a little little pocket change, then, then that's good. But just like everything else, facilities and everything else, they got to make sure they on top of everything. Uh, Fred, before you go, uh, uh, let people know what your your latest um, project is and how people can reach out and find it, sir. Well, my latest, the real latest project is uh, the history of HBCU women's basketball. We were getting ready, we were wrapping that up as we speak. Um, the if you want the history of HBCU football, that's available at um, com. It has the records for and all the records and profiles of coaches and players and other historical information uh, as it worked out. Uh, from HBCU football through 2029, 2019 rather, and it did not. It does not include uh, the, the spring because we'd already published the book by then. But the 2020 season, you know, was missed anyway. But you can go to um, com. You can order it online. You can use Cash App and or uh, uh, PayPal. Not too many people I know that I would ever uh, look at to HBCUs in terms of history other than Fred uh, with it. Fred, I appreciate you, man. Be careful. I love you, man. Thank you. Love you too, man. Appreciate you. Fred Whitted, always good to have him on HBCU, uh, covering the HBCUs, uh, historian, author, insight on the Bass News Radio uh, show on the Bass Radio Network. Next guest coming up. Stay tuned.
guys, it's Carl Edwards here for RAD, the entertainment industry's voice for road safety. Do you want to make a difference? It's simple. Be responsible. Plan ahead. Designate before you celebrate. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National music you know what time it is that's usually the locker talk with Barry Barnes and you know he's graced us with his presence he is the host (laughs) of locker talk with Barry Barnes it airs every single Friday morning for God knows Barry been with us for a while uh at 9 a.m eastern time my man doing his thing folks if you want to know about not just the NFL and the inside of the NFL, but the smaller schools and the HBCUs that are getting drafted, that are playing, that are making prosper, uh, 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 you know, progress in the league, you need to listen to Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. On the line, patiently waiting, is the one and only Barry Barnes. <laughs> and, Barry, listen, I appreciate your patience, man, hanging on the line. Um I won't hold you long because I know you got stuff to do. But thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you, Joe. Man, it's an honor always coming on the show to talk about all that good stuff, including Tom Brady. He got the interest, you know. Oh, see, no, we ain't say no. (laughs) We ain't say nothing about no Tom Brady. See, you was good. Oh, okay. And okay. So we're gonna leave. Tom Terrific to the side over here. We're going to leave him on the, on the right yes, side. We're going to go back to the left. Right? We're going to leave him over yes, there. <laughs> but, no, yes, seriously, absolutely, congratulations. Absolutely. Congratulations. I know you're a Brady Man, fan. He won. Congratulations. He, 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 they won. Uh, cheated. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, but anyway. So. <laughs> I love you, Barry. But, but listen. Man, I love you, too, man. Thank um, you for letting me come on, buddy. Listen, when you when you look at the, you heard the the previous interview about the HBCUs doing what they need to do, making sure oh, that the f- facilities are right, making sure that the SIDs are putting forth um, those things, making sure that there's someone in that family, in the Barnes family, let's say, because your your son played, and you know that wants to play linebacker, that the videos out there on YouTube and People have access. The NFL has access. What do you say to HBCUs to, to to do a better job to make sure our black kids are are getting our information out? So, I mean, you know, one percent of the, the players make it to the NFL anyway. But if you have those aspirations, what do you? What are the steps and things they need to do to make sure that those things are out there for us to get our kids out there to have a shot? Well, uh, first of all, it's always an honor and pleasure to come on this show, so thanks a lot for having me on. Um, when it comes down to HBCUs, a lot of times uh, they really frustrate me and really piss me off because they're not doing right. Um, HBCU is very prideful, and, and I understand that academia is important, you know, to show, you know, to our white, you know, brothers and sisters and counterparts that we suggest as intelligent um, to do what they do on the professional level. 
But when it comes down to athletics, collectively, HBCUs kind of look down on professional athletes and, and that, that profession. And so that's why we don't see them collectively putting into their facilities. I mean, not feeding the players properly and you know, not being able to showcase their talented players, you know, like you mentioned on YouTube. You know, I heard what Fred was talking about, how he's trying to get in contact with Fayetteville State. You know, it, it's a true fact. You you contact these guys to try to talk to some of their players. You can never get a hold of no one. They don't know the players' information. Everything is it's a joke when it comes down to their players. Uh, when people say that ACCU is not getting a lot of money, um, I'm going to bump against that because they do receive money. They just don't put it into their sports. I mean, Morgan State University putting up all kinds of buildings around, you know, up and down around their campus, and yet you go into their weight room, their weight room is not bigger than my living room and dining room and kitchen put together. So the money is there. They just refuse to put into it. Wow. Um, on in all over, you know, in, in, in all bases. You know, you can't you can't treat the players, your, your student athletes, like regular students, shutting down the cafeteria, knowing they're still practicing. And then next thing you know, they gotta um, fend for themselves to get something to eat after they finish practicing. You know, you have play, you know, schools like Shaw University. They have to work outside on a basketball court and bring the weights out there because their room is too small to work out on. So it's a lot on the institutions. They have to put themselves in a position to make their players look good because if I was an NFL scout, I would not come to an ACCU school because they they are not putting things in place so that the players can get better over a time period and they have to stop always wanting to play, you know, put their kids out there on the field, playing against the power conferences, you know, and then all of a sudden you have a situation where I have a young man that got paralyzed a few years ago from Southern University going up against right. Georgia because these guys cannot compete on that level and just only make, you know, not even a million dollars just to show up. And when they get that money, they don't even put that into their sports program. So they got to stop sacrificing these young men, put them on an even playing field, get the facilities together, treat them properly so that these guys can actually mature into their bodies and then be able to put a, a solid product on, on the field. And then, by, you know, and then a couple of years later when they show consistency, that's when we start seeing more players getting looked at. Yeah, I, I know you're short on time, so what I'm going to do is I want to do a part two on Monday if we can. can we'll talk off air about that. So I um, I agree sure. with you. I, I won't say all the uh, HBCUs, but you and I had this conversation. You're exactly right. I mean, I can I can go off air and say a bunch of different uh, places um, that are not living up to. I want to just to kind of quickly, let's just do the AFC, and we'll do NFC when you come back on, uh, in terms of who you think is going to win the division. AFC South, Tennessee with the the Wentz incident. Um, I mean, uh, Tennessee with the, uh, the 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 team poised to win with Julio Jones. Colts with the uh, Wentz thing. Uh, Houston is a mess. Jacksonville with a new coach, new quarterback. Who wins that division? Well, I would go with the Titans for now. This uncertainty with the quarterback position for Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis, you know, they stacked across the board. They have everything: offensive line, defense, you know, secondary. A running game. They finally got a running game that came to uh, came to life last year. They just a quarterback away to really, really making you know the steps forward to at least be competitive during the postseason. But right now, Tennessee Titans definitely will run away with that division. You look at Buffalo. Um, everybody's picking them. Miami should be better. New England. We don't know what the quarterback situation and the Jets with a 
a new quarterback uh, out of BYU. Who wins that division? Uh, uh, definitely leaning towards Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo is definitely, you know, that that team that's that's right there. A couple of mistakes here and there on the defense. I like I like the signing that they had with Terrell Adams when they brought him over, and then uh, F.A. Abad over they brought over for the um, Carolina Panthers. You know, they all they needed was being more consistent in getting to the quarterback, and by bringing those guys over is going to help them out tremendously. I would love to say the Jets, because the Jets have about five players from the regionals who I promote to help get into the NFL. So that, that's that's the that's my dog horse. I would love to see the Jets, but right now the Bills definitely is that team with that. Miami Dolphins, you know, they still have some uncertainty with the quarterback position as well, but definitely the Bills definitely is that team for that division. And when we have you on next week, I want to do all the regional uh, combine players, the guys you think are going to be an impact, and then in the draft. AFC West, Chiefs are the team to beat. I don't think the Raiders will be good. The Chargers, we'll see with their, their young quarterback. The Broncos are stacked defensively. Who wins that division? Um, right now, I would say the Chiefs, but it's it's not going to be as easy. I'm telling you, the, the Chargers, man, you know, that maybe with a, probably another year because they do, they will have a rookie head coach there. But with Justin Herbert, what he did last year, and knowing that they made a lot of mistakes towards the end, and a lot of those games that they had lost was based off of inexperience. If they have their experienced guys, you know, work with these young guys and be ready to play better situational football, they can at least be a challenge midway during the season for the Chiefs. But I do eventually see the Chiefs definitely uh, walking away from that. And I saved my Steelers division, the North for last. Steelers won it. They, they, they tanked at the end, lost to the Browns. Baltimore, great defense. Let's see what Lamar's going to do. Browns look really good on paper on both sides of the ball. See what the quarterback is doing. The Bengals, I mean, they're getting healthy. So who wins that division? Um, I would say the Browns. Um, they, you know, they. That's that team that I think can challenge the Chiefs this year getting to the Super Bowl from the AFC. Definitely like the Browns, how they balance even in their special teams. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that team. Long as they continue to play better situational football, that secondary had to get better. It did get better. That was the Achilles' heel for the last two years, especially last year. So I think after what they had experienced last year, they will have the confidence when they start this season off. But I definitely see the Browns uh, uh, getting that division, but it's going to be late. It's going to be late in the, um, in the season, I mean, for them to, like, really take it away because no telling what the, the Ravens are going to do. You know, the Steelers, you know, I'm a believer in the Steelers. And Cincinnati may pull up a couple of surprises. Yeah, and you, it, this is the first year I can tell you, because I follow your picks, that you haven't picked my Steelers. So that means that's a bad omen for us. We're in trouble if you ain't picked no, Pittsburgh. No, no, pick the price. I mean, no, I mean, no, no, I, I'm not. That's not against you. I'm just saying we, we're in trouble is what I'm saying. It's not against you. Your pick is we uh-huh. in trouble. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I mean. The Steelers are not going to be, they're not going to be horrible. Trust me, that, that, that organization, they're going to still win. They still have a winning record this year. It's just that they were going to make sure they continue to keep Ben Roethlisberger upright. Because that's the key, of course, you know, with any, you know, with any team. But knowing that he still can throw the ball, knowing he do have some talent out there, I just say keep your eyes out on Tyler Simmons. If this young man make that team, he's going to be a good slot guy to watch out for. So watch out for guy number uh, 82, or Tyler Simmons. I think that he'll be a surprise if uh, if he makes this team. 
I like him. I like him uh, already. I've been, of course, I've been following it, so I do like him. And then mm-hmm. next week we want to get into all the players, and we'll do a uh, the uh, NFC. But Barry, be careful, man. I appreciate your time. I know you got to run. And thanks for coming on, bro. Every time, superstar. Thanks a lot, my friend. I'll talk to you Monday. Thank you, man. Barry Barnes, always yeah. good.
show don't forget if you miss any part of the broadcast you can go to our website uh, Pro, uh, or you can listen uh, at iTunes Spotify uh, and tune in and other outlets where you can find the actual uh, show uh, 646-929-0130 I want to bring in um, my guests and my co-host always good to have him on and both both of them on actually of course uh from sportsawakening.com natural voice touring the afc south he's mike Patton, and of course the editor-in-chief of black athlete sports network tony t mac mclean and guys i appreciate you coming on thank you for having me good to have you uh mike want to start with you um you know, this move in the NBA with, uh, you know, you have a a talented guard that's going to uh, Los Angeles that uh, certainly is a uh, L.A. boy, or man, I should say, and, and Russell Westbrook. When When you look at this move, A, it's two teams, Mike, I look at that really have to kind of rebuild outside of their big three. That's the, the Lakers and Brooklyn. They have some quality big three, but both their big three can be flawed. They could be injured and everything. Uh, the Nets depleted their bench, right? And then the Lakers gave up a lot to the Wizards to get Westbrook. So when you look at Westbrook going there, start with there. Um, what's your what's your thoughts on that move? And I guess it maybe depends on what their roster looks like 
at the end of the day, but I'm not sold on it. But what what's your thoughts on Westbrook going there? I thought that was pretty interesting, to be honest. Um, can you can you hear me good? Yeah, I can hear. You. I can hear you okay. loud. Yep. Just wanted to make just wanted to make sure. But uh, yeah, as yep. far as uh, him going there, I like the move with him going there. I don't know necessarily how him and LeBron are going to fit, uh, fit besides him and LeBron James going to fit beside each other. But I will say that um, gives him additional uh, playmaker. Definitely is an upgrade over. Dennis Schroeder. So in that part, that part they did win. Which you know, by the way, Dennis Schroeder looks a little sad right now, turning down twenty one million a year for five point nine million a year. But that's another story for another day. But uh, <laughs> I will say that uh, definitely, you know, that that pairing is going to be interesting together. Um, it gives them another playmaker on the perimeter, which I think is is good. Of course, you know, you know, I don't know. Westbrook has issues shooting basketball, but. One thing I will say is, look at the shooters they brought in. They brought in Wayne Ellington. They brought in Marcus, uh, uh, Malik Monk, who put, people forget he shot 40% in Charlotte last year. Um, they brought in Kendrick Nunn, who I don't know how they pulled that one off, but he turned down other offers, actually, to come there to, to L.A. on a two-year $10 million deal, which that was, that was a huge deal. I mean, look at the shooters they've got around. And they got they bring in – then you've got Melo you can bring in off the bench to get you points off the bench, which that was an issue for them last season. So, you know, to me, even though people are making jokes about them being older, you got to also remember the Chicago Bulls are old too when they 3 teed So, you know, this team are actually – you know, I actually like the pieces and, and the plans that Rob Polinka put together with this team. And the funny thing about it is that – the last time, remember the last time this happened, and everybody talked about how they fumbled the bag and how they did this and did that and made a move that, you know, they were, they were waiting on Kawhi and it never happened. Well, the last time this happened, uh, Polinka made all the right moves and they ended up winning the NBA championship. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I'm bringing T in, it, uh, this team is old. I mean, T, I mean, well, Mike Patton is saying it, you know, with Schrader going to the Celtics, turned down all that money, had an opportunity to get that money with uh, the, the Lakers, turned it down. Now he's going to Celtics. This is a old team. And as you and I, and I think Mike are mellow fans, this is a geriatric, this is an old team. And, and with all due respect to what Mike said, this is not the three-time, you know, Bulls, you know, with Rodman and you know, and that they, that's not this this is not that team. We don't know if that team can be. My my problem, if I'm a Laker fan, I'm concerned, is that um, they get hurt. Like the two top guys get hurt. Now Westbrook is younger, so he might not get hurt. He can fly through the roof. But the the, the concern is that AD didn't look like AD this last time. That's probably why they lost, in my opinion. Um, he he wasn't himself. So Tony, I you know that's that's the concern that they are really the way Ellington's and all. I mean, you know, aside they they are no they are no other team. Well, let's put it this way: uh, we got to see how the rest of the roster plays out because if you're going by like today as we speak, uh, the roster is a little whatever. But a couple things. I don't think there'll be as much of an adjustment as people think because, again, I'll say it before and I'll say it again. 
LeBron has always been more magic than Michael. Will he take over games at times? Absolutely. But I think I think because it's always been in his nature to get the ball to somebody else and then he, you know, does this thing later, I don't think that will be the problem. For this to work, you're going to have to get 70 games out of the big three. That's the thing. And I know they're going to try to do load management to a certain extent, but they've got to be careful with that because you want them to be peaking at playoff time. You don't want them to still be sort of learning each other uh, 70 games, you know, 60, 70 games into the season. That was the biggest problem with the with, the, with Brooklyn, I feel. And, and a lot of that falls back on uh, Mr. Nash, but that's another story. But um, I got to see how the rest of the roster plays out because, again, right now, just looking at it right now, where's the depth? Because they gave up a lot to get Westbrook in uh, Kuzma, in uh, Caldwell Pope, and, and, and others. So, Unless they're going to be able to bring in guys that are willing to do the league minimum, they're going to, you know, Polinka's going to have Polinka's going to have to do a, a, a real good financial breakdance to make sure that this roster fills out and that they get the most out of these guys. And, and that's a that's a great question too, Mike, because when you look at that, um, and I shift to I shift to the, the Nets. Uh, again, the Nets have a big three, and I'm going to come back to, to – um, hopefully we'll get time to go back to uh, uh, the, uh, a guy in Kevin Durant who's on top of the world right now uh, where he is. But you look at Durant and Harden, you know, and uh, Kyrie, that's a broken marriage. Right, like they, the the one, the one always stays injured. It seems the other one's been injured lately, and then you got the other guy. It's almost like, sort of like, in, in a, a weird way, with the Lakers. You know, uh, Bryant. Um, I mean, uh, Kevin Durant is playing, you know, Westbrook's role, and then the other two are playing the other two role. When you look at what the the Nets have done right now, you know. What do you see them in terms of the Eastern Conference? All right, is it on me? I'm sorry. On yeah, me. That's on you, Mike. That's on you, Mike. Okay, cool. Cool. All right, as far as the Nets, I mean, they're still going to be at top of the West of the Eastern Conference. I mean, really, really good move. I do like that they picked up uh, Patty Mills, gives them nice shooting off the bench. And another move that they just made today, Kyle. Uh, Kyle uh, Corver is going to be their player development person, which that's going to be uh, great things for Joe Harris. <laughs> so, um, honestly, I do like what they, they have put together. Um, the good thing is that James Harden has decided he wants to play point guard now. So now Kyrie can actually move off the basketball, do a few things there. Um, Durant can be Durant and you know, the the players around them can grow, especially uh, Nick Claxton, which that's a guy I look at to continue to blossom and, and get better as the, and eventually be the starting center for them. Um, but, um, you know, it's going to hurt them losing Jeff Green. I will say that. That's going to hurt them more I, than they even know. I, I guess my my thing with, with the, the Nets, the slight difference with 
with the net, well, maybe it's not even even a difference because, you know, both situations in L.A., you know, you got multiple people that need the ball in their hand in L.A. and in Brooklyn. Um, and that's the different. Uh, I mean, that's the same. And then you got to look at the injuries and then you look at the climate of what the teams are doing. Chris Paul going back to uh, Phoenix, the, the Sixers situation with what's going on now. We're going to talk about that. I guess, Mike, that would be <clears throat> the concern in terms of, you know, what you're bringing in. Like, if I'm a Sixer fan, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to keep Tobias. And that might be a pipe dream. But if, if we're getting rid of Ben Simmons, I, you know, I want to keep Tobias. And so when you look at what Brooklyn L.A. is doing, it's who's doing a better job so far, thus far, uh, in those camps in L.A. and Brooklyn in terms of keeping the big three and then surrounding the talent around the big three? Honestly, uh, you know, I think they're pretty doing a pretty solid job in both places uh, in terms of putting talent. The one thing they did in um, in L.A. is they made sure to surround those three with shooters. Now, in Brooklyn, you know, we talk about Harden shooting basketball, Harden being a streaky shooter, and, of course, you know, Kevin Durant's uh, even more powerful in the mid-game than he is in the deep game to me. But – um, there you haven't surrounded them, I think, with as much, you know, complimentary pieces, in my opinion. I think more in, in, in L.A. you have. So I think L.A. is doing a better job. And Palenka and, you know, people wanted to give him a little flack for being more of an agent before he came in to be a general manager and executive. But, you know, he, he simply understands a little bit more what his team needs and doesn't need. And, you know, also you got to – also throw out there, they did bring Dwight Howard back, which I think that was a big move and thing that they missed as an athletic big last year outside of AD. Yeah, we're talking um, uh, to Mike Patton, of course, here on the uh, Bachelor News radio show. Um, to bring in Tony in just a bit um, here. Uh, uh, Mike, what about the Sixers, and I'll ask Tony the same thing. When you look at the Ben Simmons situation, uh, I've been saying, as you know, the both of you know for for a couple of years now, that Ben Simmons is not he's – he's got a lot of upside, but it's not going to be in Philly. It doesn't seem that's going to happen. So what is it going to take for him to go? Who's going to – who's the takers? And do you see a splash like a, a Damian Littered Mike where they're going to bring him in, or, or what's going to come in return if he's gone from Philly? Well, honestly, do I see Damian Lillard coming to Philly? No. Uh, the biggest thing I would say that's hurting his trade or trade value is that the Philadelphia 76ers think they're trading Michael Jordan out here. They're asking for first-round picks, this player, that player, and all those type of things, and I'm like, okay, while I understand you want to ask for this much, you got to also assess the situation and look at it with clear vision instead of looking at it with, you know, rose-colored glasses on. So, to be honest, uh, as it comes closer to the season, I think he'll end up being shipped out more than likely. Um, but, you know, the, 
the the more likelihood of it happening comes with them coming down on their their uh, demands. I, I did actually see him potentially going to Sacramento at one point in time because if you look at Sacramento now, look at how many point guards they have. They have the Aaron Fox. They drafted uh, Embry last year. I mean, they drafted another point guard last year. And then they just drafted Tavion Mitchell this year. So they've got three point guards they've drafted uh, over the last what five years. So I mean, common sense will tell you that one of those got to go. So either that or Sacramento is going to be Sacramento again, which that's more than that could happen too. But you know, that's a team I can look at him going to. Hmm. Well, I mean, we need to we need to, uh, a new environment. See, you know, uh, are we hearing anything up there in in, in terms of? Different with him, and where do you think he'll go? Well, to be quite honest, maybe I'm foolish. I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't trade him. I don't know. You know, I, I still think this is a salvageable season. I think, um, and see, they want it both ways because, like Mike said, they don't think very highly of him, but they want, you know, they they, they basically want to shaft somebody to get him. But see, my, my, my thinking is, I still think the kid can be salvageable. I know, you know, that, you know, basically everybody and their mama uh, passed the Delaware state line wants to basically get rid of him. But I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I think this is the sort of thing where this could come back and haunt their franchise for a long, long, long time. I, I just, I, I don't see, what what do you see in him that, in this environment that works for him to stay in Philly? I, I, I just don't well, see. I just, you know, I will see, it's the whole, look, that whole Philly environment to me is one of the reasons why they don't win. Because they, you know, it's almost it's almost worse than New York in the sense of well, he's not our guy. He's never been our guy, and I don't you know. He's still relatively young. I, I just wouldn't. I, I wouldn't give up on him. I really wouldn't. And maybe you know, you know, maybe that maybe it's more of an optics thing or what have you. And I and I get that, but. Me personally, I wouldn't give up on the guy, and maybe I'm the you know, maybe I'm the only person in the world that wouldn't give up on him quite yet in Philly. Mike, what, I this, mean, uh, what is it? I was gonna say, what is? Would you hear Tony saying that? I, I mean, I don't. You can't. I mean, he struggled in the playoffs, and 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 this year was even worse. The guy can't. You can't score in the fourth quarter. Any point. Any point. Give me two points. You can't score any points in the fourth quarter. It's time to go. I mean, I'm not saying that he's not a talent. I'm just saying just like in certain situations where young guys play bad in other places and then they go to a new place and then they flourish. That might be the situation for him. I'm not saying he's a bad talent. I'm just saying it's not a talent that's working in Philly right now. I'll say this, as far as uh, Ben Simmons, the only way Ben Simmons succeeds is if he looks in the mirror and is not afraid of what he looks in the mirror, what he sees in the mirror. Because the reason why why I say that is because 
it seems like he, he's almost afraid to try something outside of his norm. And he's thinking yep. so hard about what everyone else thinks about him instead of just going out there and letting it rip. I mean, when, you know, that's that's the same kind of thing that LeBron went through when he stopped caring what people thought about him as much. He still cares what people think about him, but he just doesn't care about it as much to where he's just going to stop trying different things. I mean, you couldn't say he could do some of the things he did when he was the second time when he was in when he was in Cleveland the second time around. You couldn't say he did he could do some of those things the first time around. He just couldn't. He just couldn't mentally get over some of those things mentally. But I think mentally, if he's able to get over those things, you will see a Ben Simmons or the Ben Simmons that everyone thought they were going to get. That's the biggest thing he has to get over. I don't care where he's traded to. If he didn't get over that, he won't ever reach his potential. I think that's that's part of the problem, Tony. You want to add to that? No, it's like you know, that 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 that's basically somewhat similar to what I'm saying in the sense of I get it that you know he's you know he basically you know was was the invisible man in the fourth quarter. I I get I, I get that, but I don't know. I just I I just don't give up on him. I give him another year with Doc, and if it doesn't work out, then 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 I then, then yeah, I understand. But I just Tony. I, yeah. Yeah. One thing. I, sorry to interrupt, but one thing I'll say it's really hard for him to come back when your uh, when your coach is iffy on you and your your starting star center is iffy on you too. It would be yeah. hard to come back from yeah. that. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of begging and pleading and. Knee pads were at war. Sure, Begging sure, him or talking sure, to him, please. Sure, sorry, sure. I'm sorry. You got to come back. You know, that type of sure, sure, sure. I, 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 I get it. I get it. But, you know, the one thing I think people, you know, what's the alternative? Okay, let's say they get rid of them. Are they going to be better? Are they going to be able to bring in as much? See, that's the thing. I don't think getting rid of him is, I don't, this way, it's easy to put it all on them. I get that. But you win as a team, you lose as a team. And to put it all on them to me, you know, there's been nice for him, yeah. you know, it's has gone through. Yeah, it's been, Embiid has had his moments as well. And I, but look, I get it. I understand it. But see, all I'm saying is unless you're going to get, you know, an incredible package, are you is getting rid of Ben Simmons going to make you that much of a better team in the Eastern Conference? And right now, I say no. Well, let me be clear, too, though. I, I, I'm not saying that it's all, um, uh, it's all Ben Simmons' fault. I, I never said that. What I'm saying is that it's not working for him until it. Um, something's got to give, um, and you know, it's it, it's. I mean, by all accounts, really, guys, I think it's it's really Joel and Bede's team. And if you bring in a Robin that that's gonna do the inside outside game thing, as opposed to someone who can facilitate, sure, but can't shoot from the perimeter. It's going to be something different. So I, I'm not saying, see, I'm not, I'm definitely not saying, I mean, I'm, I'm still, um, you know, I'm hoping that Doc Rivers will get it right. Um, 
certainly Embiid has some horrible. He he'll have his moments where he shoots three pointers and he's seven feet, you know that kind. Of, he should be shooting them. He ain't Durant. So I, I'm not saying it's all Tom Ben Simmons. I'm just saying that the fit doesn't seem like it's working anymore. So if, it, if it's not working, then they need to get something for him, bring some some other talent in, and see if they can work that out. That's where I'm at um, with the situation as a whole. You look at the NBA, um, uh, to the both of you, Mike, uh, when you look at some of the moves and the, the adjustments, it, there's a lot of uh, the things that have been said, Mike, about how uh, players in the past, recent past, Mike, uh, didn't want to take the – you know, the the uh, professional or, or the veterans cut because they want to make their money um, rather than go play, you know, like a Rodman, whoever, and go play to win championships. Bryant, I mean, not Bryant, but uh, Kevin Durant got killed when, when he played in Oklahoma and they didn't win. He stayed and they didn't win. So then when he decided to go win a championship, when people say, oh, it's about the money, he go win a championship with Golden State, they killed him. Now he leaves to go somewhere else, they kill him again. So it's really, he can't win. And I don't know if it's him or the situation. So what about that? When you look at the, the uh, I'm not thinking of the NBA, we can look at other um, things, but then when you look at um, other sports, NBA, you know, they always talk about the big three, you know, he did what he did, and, and he's considered arguably, arguably uh, the greatest player on the planet, right? So what about that in, in terms of them, him deciding, you know what, uh, I made my money, uh, I won my titles, now I'm going to do it a different way, even different from what I did it the first two times, and he still gets criticized. Well, um, the biggest thing you learn if you're Kevin Durant is that people will never be satisfied with anything that you do. Um, If you're happy with you, then it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. There's always going to be somebody, just like there's always going to be somebody mad at you about doing this, that, and other. There's always going to be somebody mad at you trying to spend your money, too, and how you spend your money. Because nine times out of ten, there's probably somebody uh, trying to mad that Kevin Durant bought this, that, or the other and try and tell him how he should spend his money. But guess what? He shouldn't care because <laughs> it's his money. Um, in that same vein, in a different vein, I'll say that, you know, players like to be challenged and they like to challenge themselves. Uh, you know, maybe at this point he wanted to face a challenge, wanted to do something different, wanted to uh, make a different lane for himself. So, hey, more power to him. If that's what he wants to do, fine. But just stop having the rabbit ears. Stop talking to people on Twitter. Stop responding to people on Instagram because, one, you lost money. Two, it doesn't make any sense or make their lives any better, your life any any better. You're making their day talking to them on social media. So stop it. Stop it. Yeah. And, and Tony, for every, you know, uh, Kevin Durant, people are making their – complaints about other athletes. Everybody wants to compare it. You know, if I was Bird, I played all my years in Boston when I was, you know, um, Magic, I played all my years in L.A. and so on and so forth. But they forget 
that sure Michael won his titles in Chicago, but he didn't finish his career in Chicago. They don't want to talk about that part. So when you look at these players, and, and you know, Kevin Durant is going to need it all. Now he's done it all, everything. Olympic champion, NBA champion, MVP, all that money, everything. And he still gets criticized. A lot of guys, he's not the only one. So when you look at it, I mean, what else needs to be done and needs to be said? Uh, the quote, the great philosopher, Flavor Flav, mother bleep them in, John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I uh-huh. mean, you can't, that's really what it boils down to. But these guys don't see, a lot of them are very They're going to see, we're in, unfortunately, we're in the age of the, of the society of, of ex-girlfriends in the media. That's where we're at now. And, and you know, it, 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 again, I don't say it to justify it, but just to recognize it, unfortunately. And, I, again, I got to go with Mike. You know, the thing, you know, see, the thing is, 10, 15 years down the road, there's going to be another kid that they're going to go after and they're going to try to say, oh, he's no Kevin Durant. And I'm, and, and, and I'm going to personally drive to their home and beat their ass. Because the very thing, you know, because the very same things that they're saying about these kids now were the same things that they said about Barkley, the same things they said about Jordan, and now all of a sudden they want, you know, it's that whole, you know, one of the oldest media tricks is us versus us, and you see it in all in, in all the sports, and then you have some guys like a Kendrick Perkins. Um, like uh, others that 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 basically that's their stick, and it's it's it, it, they don't realize just how they how the manipulation has been going on for years and years and years and years. I you know I like what Durant said after they won the gold medal. Now just you know to me that was that that that's the best way to respond because if you if, you know it's sort of like a rod. If you if you're sitting around worried about trying to make everybody happy, you're gonna wind up making everybody miserable and yourself. So again, I refer to so again I refer to flavor flavor. Yeah, they they can't they 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 really can't please, and that's really what boils down to uh, uh, Mike Patton. Um, but I celebrate uh, Kevin Durant too. He's doing everything his his way essentially. Um, and, you know, he's got a lot of pull. He has a pull to go to state and certainly he had the Oklahoma City. Now he's got it at Brooklyn in terms of uh, what the roster uh, will look at. But I, I want to uh, uh, switch finally, guys, with, with the NFL and stay with the a- and, and go to the AFC South. Go to you, Mike, and because obviously that the, the, the landscape of this division has Changed slightly, obviously, with Carson Wentz out, and you know, uh, I'm not a big Carson Wentz fan anyway, and I don't wish any ill will on him and his injury. Hopefully, he gets back, and I mean that sincerely. Um, but he is out, and you know, the Colts are one of those teams that a lot of people thought on both sides of the ball, Mike, were stacked. They just need to get the quarterback play, and they can maybe surpass. Um, 
you know, Tony's old, you know, Houston Oilers, now Tennessee Titans, and it's, it's a team that you cover. Um, but when you look <laughs> at the, the, the Colts losing Carson Wentz with Tennessee bringing in Julio Jones, and we'll see because he's been injured. Injury must be the theme tonight. Um, what does that conference, that, that division look like now? What, is, what does it look like? Is it still Tennessee's basically to lose? or I mean, what's the situation? And is Julio Jones going to make a big impact if he can stay uh, healthy? And that, that is, is the big word. Well, I will say this. Uh, a lot of people talk about Julio Jones and being healthy. Um, you know, of course, he's had his nicks here and there, but, you know, for the most part, he's been pretty solid. So I wouldn't worry as much about that. Plus, there's a guy named A.J. Brown on the opposite side. So he's probably going to have one-on-ones a lot. Um, as far as the uh, Colts, news um, is out there. I did have a doctor on my podcast, Dr. Erin Wilson, and she talked about um, the injury being between 5 to 12 weeks. Um, it actually, you know, the way it's looking or the way it's rumored now is they could be back before – they could be back for week one, actually. Uh, Carson Wentz and right guard Quentin Nelson, who, crazily, both of them have the same foot injury but on opposite feet. So, yeah, they both actually could potentially be back on week one. So it couldn't be that – it, it potentially could, you know, be the last thing we talk about in regards to them and having injuries, or he could be out longer. So, you know, with that being said, if they're out there week one, it's the Colts versus the Titans, and they're, they're gonna, those two teams are going to make up who wins the AFC South, in my opinion, because Jacksonville is still getting better, although, you know, they have their, their dramas as well with uh, a certain cornerback down there. And, of course, you yeah, know, but they, have zero, they have zero too. chance to win the division, though, zero chance. Jackson, I'll, I'll say this: Don't tell, don't tell Urban that with how he's, uh, how he's approaching practice down there. Literally, mm-hmm. I, I listened to how they're approaching practice down there, and you would think he's still in Ohio State the way he's being active out there. Trust me, but the players are buying in so far, from what I've heard. The players are, are, are buying in. What what I've what I've been told, I should say. So, uh, but I'll say this. Uh, the the Colts, if they're able to survive the first five weeks of the season, then it's going to be them and the Titans. If they're they don't survive them very well, then it's going to be trouble because you know they face the Rams and they face the Seahawks and they face the Titans within their first five or six weeks of the football season. Yeah, but that's assuming that Carson Wentz is going to be good though when he comes back too. That's also oh, assuming that. That, that, that's you know, assuming I mean, that too, yeah. which I, I, yeah, I know. That's assuming a lot. It's assuming a lot. But if they make it out of that one, uh, that 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 stretch of uh, the start of the season, then they could potentially be battling the Titans again for the division. If not, then it could be the Titans losers. Well, and and T, you know, the Titans, uh, you know, they have arguably the best running back in football. Um, and Henry, and the, the dude, the, the team, there's a lot of um, um, sort of Earl Campbell in him, like your Oilers, but but even more hybrid, like with the speed, like he can knock guys over, but and, but he's not a pinball type knock guy because he's he's quicker, he can get outside uh, quicker. Um, so when you look at that team, and 
and you look at the reps he's probably going to take um, and the hits and the eight and the nine in the box and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, could this be the Titans here? The other part of the, the, the question is with with the Ravens, um, you know, Lamar Jackson, everybody's trying to, to say that, you know, he's still not ready as a, a passer, but they did bring in some talent. I do reluctantly believe in John Harbaugh. I say that in turn, as a Steelers fan. Um, so when you look at that, you know, the Ravens with that secondary, they may I, – I, I could see those two teams clashing um, in the AFC um, in giving Kansas City a run for their money. Uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, still gets a salary for the Titans, right? Yeah, well, that's true. Well, okay, that answers that question a little bit, but they may have to win in spite of him. They may have to win in spite of him. Let's put, put it this way. Um, Julio's probably going from one mediocre quarterback to an even mediocre quarterback. Um, but oh, this, not, a, not, a, not a fan of either one. Not a fan of either one. Sorry about that. But um, put, put, it, put, it, put, it, put it this way. They'll go as far as their defense goes, I think. I think they're off I think offensively they're gonna be as good as any team in the league with uh because they have the weapons. It's a matter of having a quarterback that's gonna be able to get the ball, you know, to them and you know, sort of winning in despite of them. They have to they're gonna have to mix it up. But um and for for Indy, who's the who's the backup QB for Indy? That'd be uh, actually it's a battle going on right now. Honestly, uh, it's between Sam Erlinger and Jacob Eason. Uh, Jacob Eason, former Georgia quarterback, turned Washington quarterback, and Sam Erlinger, quarterback from Texas. And the way it's looking right now, it's a neck and neck battle, and Erlinger is pushing him. So it, it could mm-hmm. potentially be Erlinger at the backup, and Eason so, being dropped off the team. So, so but Michael, so basically, so basically, they had your closing percent. They had your closing percent. I know. Oh, I know. I know it. Now they can't I, thought it was, I thought it was crazy to let him. I thought it was crazy to let him go too. But yeah. oh, but yeah, one thing well. I did want to tell you too. One thing I did want to tell you too, Tony. Um, mm-hmm. I understand you know the feelings about Tannehill, but I will say this: ever since he's been in Tennessee, he's probably been a top five statistically quarterback in the NFL. And I'm not. I'm not and trust me, I ain't, I'm I'm not necessarily the greatest fan of him either. But the numbers mm-hmm. and the stats in his play don't lie. And don't. Well, I'm a, I'm a. That's a, I, not, I, I'll say that both. I can do Statnell. Statnell, his numbers don't lie, but neither does his game either. Oh, and, game, and I, I'll been, say this. Been, been pretty good I'll, the last couple of years. Over, yeah, yeah, yeah and I was going to say this that to 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 both of your points. I mean, to 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 Tony. I mean, it, you know, um, Ten Hill, the old Ten Hill, could show up. But to Mike's point in the play action with with uh, having the, the best running back in the league, he had made a lot of mistakes. So we'll see. Uh, the, I, I think the key is, guys. I think the key is this: if they stop somehow Henry, then what happens? Can he lead the team? With they shut him completely down for games after game. Maybe not every game, but like three or four games in the season, five or six games. Can Tannehill lead this team to the playoffs? That's going to be the biggest thing right there. I got, I got, I got your answer for that. 
Um, now the thing is different this year. You guys think they've got nine people in the box, eight to nine people in the box this year. If they mm. if they're stopping Derrick Henry, they're putting eight to, eight people, eight to nine people in the box. That means that's one on ones for AJ Brown and one on ones for Julio Jones. Mm-hmm. And the safety to try to pick which side he's going to go to. Which, if the safety picks the wrong side, the other guy could be wide open. Or the other factor is you're missing the one year, the, 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 the guy they signed to be a slot guy. Well, he's going to end up being a slot guy. It's Josh Reynolds. That means he's wide open. Wide well, I, open. And, and I think, I think to um, uh, Tony's concern is Tannehill. My concern is Julio Jones. And you and 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 Mike, you and I had a conversation about that in terms of staying healthy and being able to get that man coverage and whatever. We'll see. My my concern is Julio Jones, not the other stuff, but just being able to um, stay healthy so, you know, Brown can get that man or he gets the man or whatever the case may be. That's the biggest concern I have with this team. But, again, reluctantly, as a Steelers fan, I, 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 I just think Baltimore, they just look prime for the defensively. And the Lamar with the weapons, I think they might be the team that might be ready to, to challenge Kansas City. But we'll see. Um, can, I, can I say something else? If you don't sure, mind? sure. Sure. Okay. One thing I will say too is Tennessee's actually deeper at wide receiver than what anybody's really recognizing this year too. They've got a lot. Deep, they're a lot deeper than what they were last year at wide receiver. And secondly, what I also tell you too is Bateman, uh, the, the wide receiver they just drafted uh, this year, he got injured. Uh, he has growing surgery and he won't be back until September. So that's one of the new weapons for uh, Lamar Jackson going. And then also the biggest hindrance to that offense and expanding in terms of passing, that'd be Mr. Greg Roman. In San Francisco, with with Colin Kaepernick, did their passing game ever grow? Did the running the running game did, the passing game never grew when people adjusted to it, nothing happened. Nothing happened, he didn't make any adjustments. Buffalo, he was the coordinator there. They were the offense was looking great. He, our defense was adjusted, then it looked bad again. Baltimore mm-hmm. Look at the same thing. Their, their offense is not adjusted to people taking away the run, and he hasn't expanded the passing game, which is why Lamar Jackson will not grow as a passer as long as Greg Roman is the offensive coordinator. Seen it happen too many times. Like you said, San Fran, uh, you're right with Colin Kaepernick. That was uh, uh, that was different. Uh, we'll see. I mean, but you know, Lamar and. You know, Colin uh, has some similar traits in terms of the athletic ability and, and throwing a ball on Greg Roman. But Greg Roman, you're right, has kind of uh, immature in terms of when he was in in charge. It'll be interesting to see. I'm really that, that division could be the best. It could be the worst um, division in football um, when when you look at it, it with all the turn of events that that may take place. Uh, Mike, before you go, let folks know how they can reach out to you, sir. We appreciate your time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MikePatton82. Of course, you can find me. Uh, eventually, I'm going to get a link tree, link tree uh, LA, so have all my links. But um, <laughs> uh, Right now, you can find me at a few different places. You can find me, of course, at the Tennessee Tribune, TennesseeTribune.com, Nashville Voice, NashvilleVoice.com. Um, you can also find me on my podcast once a week, uh, touring the ASU South, which this week I had 
Jack's beat writer, uh, John Reed, on the show, giving me the whole rundown of the C.J. Henderson situation <laughs> in uh, Jacksonville. And the post, you know, he gave me a Tim Tebow update, too, by the way. And, and it ain't good for Tebow fans. But, uh, you know, other than that, that, too. And then also had Chris Sanders, who is a former Titans and Oilers wide receiver. He was on the show, too. Mm. And and T as always always good to, to to plug in for my friend. Oh, uh, com and you can also catch us on Facebook uh, at Build the Soul Sports. Always good to have you both on, Tony T Matt McLean and Mike Patton on the show. If you're missing part of broadcast, make sure you go to our website. Uh, the Bastion News at Airtime.pro. We're live now, and you can listen to the rebroadcast 10 a.m., 3 p.m., Monday through Saturday, Sunday from 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation, Pad Nation to a Twitter, and of course, you can um, uh, get the downloads at tunein.com and iTunes, Instagram, LA Bachelor. If you're interested in having your own show, if you want to advertise with us, Make sure you hit us up at LA Bachelor with a T, LA Bachelor 40 at gmail.com. Enjoy.
bubble gum. Please with me, pop the 